I'm on my feet. Oh, you, you got a standing desk. It, it's 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 all here. It's arrived. It's put together. Hey, microphone clamped to the top of it, so it follows me everywhere I go. Amazing. Yeah. Oh, it's that's happened. Co- that's cool. So, uh, how long did it take you to set up? Six hours ish, maybe more. <laughs> It was so long. I was putting this thing together for ages. Uh, one of the reasons was because the to- the desk topper came with no pilot holes drilled oh. for like attaching to the legs, so I had to drill them all myself. So I was being careful and still doing a pretty poor job of getting them all lined up properly. But it's it, 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 all the screws went in okay, not not too much squeaking. So I'm pretty proud. To be fair, anything with DIY. I mean, the most recent thing I did was my desk that I have in my studio, right? And that took genuinely the best part of two days, just because there were so many moving pieces and drawers and uh, cupboards and things like slid into that bit and levels to it. They so can take a while, yeah. It it does, and the thing is, like, it turned out really nicely, and I was very pleased that I did it but it was the fact that it took so much time and I'm I've I put off like DIY jobs because I know how long they're going to take me yeah. to do I mean they do take a while mine, mine takes six hours and all it is is legs on the topper right it's not got any drawers not got anything <laughs> okay it, it was just like the whole process of getting all the things lined up nice and making sure it was all attached. I did. I did add a desk, like a keyboard tray as well. So there's three three components. So two hours per component. Wow. Not not the best turnover. My dad wouldn't be proud. So, so does this mean? I mean, he'd have to get planning permission first. <laughs> so does this mean that if you're using your standing desk, the monitor is now on like a giraffe neck esque joint? So it's at your eye level. No, the, the whole desk. The whole desk goes up, and then the monitors oh. stay on the desk. Of course. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But my one of my monitors is on a, a clamp system because I like it. The other one's just normal. So, so how much of your work are you doing? Because now you've got the option. You can be like, I'm going to stand. I'm exactly. going to sit. Exactly. I could do a bit both. It's a hand crank, so I get to exercise my way up and down. Um, but it's just I, I try to switch every hour or two. Uh, standing, I'll go a bit longer. I can, I, I can just stand for as long as I want to, and then I'll get lazy and mm-hmm. sit down for an hour or two and then back on my feet again. Well, um, but every single stream I've done, I've done standing, except one nice. music stream, but those are shorter. So it, it's, it's a really good option. I do feel it. It is, it is helping out with my, some of my muscle issues already. Love that. And welcome to the Standing While Doing the Podcast Club which I have been a member of for... It's been a long time. ...several hundred episodes. I used to stand way back in the early ones, right? Zero room, no spare rooms or anything, and my desk was too small to set up podcast at, so I'd stand near it, but it's been been years. And also the fact that, I mean, you you can get more energy when you're standing up. I I do believe you get more into it. When you're standing than when you're sitting. We'll find out. But al- we will find will. out. Everybody, rate my energy levels this week. But, but also, when I did do the occasional episode sitting down, I would often find myself drifting off. And this was like way back in the day, <laughs> mainly because I was working too hard and wasn't sleeping. But when you're standing and up... I'm really boring. Unless you're a narcoleptic, it's just not going to happen. You're just going to be awake. So that's good. The sleepies, the sleepies don't hit so strong. This is, this is true. Um, I do feel like I'm going to have to really work on my mic discipline, though. It's a lot easier to move far away from the mic now. Yep. And I don't know if I'm going to handle that. Well, see, this is what the wonders of editing and compression does, is that even if you are slightly further away, we should have a nice, steady signal. No, just be a, a tonal difference. And also, listeners, if you would like to join us in standing, then please stand and listen. 
stand to attention and like stand cease operating. The whole time. And you won't fall asleep. If you're on a walk, even better. Indeed. Well, if you got a standing desk, uh, James, I did little DIY, if any, over the last week. Oh. <laughs> nice segue. Which is surprising, considering that's not what I do for a living. But I did have my first national TV ads for kids' toys air oh. across the UK. Wow. Now, Can you give us a little, uh, a little sample? No, no. Have you heard the advert? No. Have you seen it? I don't watch live TV, so no. no. Right, okay. There are two adverts. Right. I'm, I'm just going to play you one of them. Okay. Because the second one is, is arguably worse. Okay. Okay. Basically what happened is I was, uh, I was asked to do this advert, which I did, and then they said, hey, that sounds great. Can you please do it again? Right. Except more neutral. Ah. And of course, by more neutral, they mean... Atlantic. English. Sorry, yeah, English. <laughs> and so, here is the end result, which aired across the UK okay. this uh, past weekend. Okay. The magic oven baking game. <laughs> Move around the board. Put the apples in your dish. Pop it in the magic oven. That is not real. Twist the pot. And that was good enough for TV. Golden crusted pie. Bake three pies to win. The magic oven baking game. <laughs> you really, no, you know what you've nailed? You've nailed that sort of like TV advert husky breathy voice <laughs> in that last game there. You really got that TV advert noise out. Do you know what they were going, what they sent me was an advert from the 90s where someone was selling like a magic tooth fairy game. Right. And essentially it was just this like, I think it was something like breathy wonder you was what it. they were going for. And so, yeah, I'm going to add that to my my portfolio. Breathy wonder. No, see, you see, that's what I can do. I, I I got I got that I got that feeling without the prompt. So you nailed but, it. But tell tell me, I'll tell you this. What I can't do is a convincing English accent. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> but you sounded neutral. You know, there's there's just a couple of lines in that, and particularly the one "move round the board." It's just the word "board" <laughs> is just board. "move round the board." <laughs> Just straight back to the Scottish. There's too many. You got too many syllables. It's only got half a syllable in in English. The other one, the other ad I did, I voice a princess and also a dinosaur. Yes, we've talked about the dinosaur voice. Uh, right, right. Uh, and that one was uh, again. There's just a couple of lines in there which are clearly not an English <laughs> accent at all. But and this is this is the thing which I, I've learned. The producers were clearly like. Well, we don't care. Yeah. As long as it's got that breathy wonder, as long as it's delivered well, fine. Yeah, exactly. Hit the neutral, <laughs> put the breath on, easy. So whilst I am less proud of the the advert as a whole, mm-hmm. it's more the achievement. It's more like, hey, you did an advert and it aired across the entire wow. country. Like, that's that's great. I'm really chuffed about that. Am I as chuffed about the, ad- the adverts themselves? No, no, absolutely not. But still, well done. You're in the big leagues. You're you're in, you're on the first steps towards being an actor. Right, right. And it's actually one thing I do need to work on, which is my repertoire of delivery. Because at the moment, I can basically just do like two things. One is the much more serious and sincere voiceover. Yeah, you're doing the news. Yeah. Or it's the like kind of cease operate delivery, a bit more upbeat. I mean, hey, I'm hey, doing a podcast. Come yeah, and yeah. buy this really expensive, useless product, usually cryptocurrency. I'm Colin. Thanks. <laughs> Give me money. So I am just a normal human being with a microphone. Right, right. In a cupboard. So <laughs> what I need to work on is 
the character voices right. and, the, and particularly accents because I cannot do convincing accents from anywhere. Whereas you didn't try my trick yet. No, no, no. I've tried. I tried it, but oh. but whereas the uh, the main thing. Sorry, the tr- the trick was put your tongue in a different part of your mouth. Different neutral mouth. You got to reset your ne- neutral uh, noise. But the the problem I have, or rather, I see other voice actors do it, is they post their portfolio or their their showreel, and within two minutes they've done like twenty different character voices, okay. and they are all so different from each other. You're thinking that's not the same guy, and it is, right. or the same girl, you, and it's just the same person who's suddenly like, who's who's first of all pretending to be a, a Irish teenager, and at the end of the video is a witch from Macbeth, mm-hmm. and you're thinking I I can't do that. Have you considered that? Uh, Vocal coaching, uh, dialect coaching, and all that stuff. So, so that I think is the next step because I mean, other than YouTube tutorials, yeah. I'm unsure how far that's going to get me. I do think I could do it, yeah. but it just needs the time, effort, and probably money to actually make me better. I imagine a mix of the two, like a lot of free time spent doing characters to yourself while you're just pottering around the house, and then like a, some yes. investment of the professionals to make sure you're going in the right direction. But it, <coughs> that was a good character, <laughs> sickly boy. But it is also, yeah, that's uh, that's my one, which is called "I don't have COVID." Trust me, <laughs> it's just a cough. But it is something I've realised recently. Actually, there is only a set limit of things or hobbies or yep. activities you can work on. Yep. At 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 the same time. Indeed. And it's. I'm at the point now where I'm kind of at my maximum. I'm going to have to drop something if I want to pick up something else. Right. Or I'll just wait until I've done my taxes and I've submitted my taxes and then I can work less. Yeah. Which is my main issue at the moment. Is Everyone's just like, hey, can you do this really quick job for us for 50 quid? I'm like, yes. Yes, I need it. Yes, I can. (laughs) Got to pay the taxes. (laughs) Or rather, Her Majesty's government needs it. (laughs) It desperately needs it. Yeah, they need to buy a new house from someone somewhere. Oh, man. Anyway, welcome to Seesaw Parade, the show which has character. Several. Characters and, and, <laughs> and character voices. I'm Colin, and he is James. Yep. And this is episode two six seven. Thank you so much for listening. It's a really good number that one. Really do uh, appreciate it, and thank you as well to everybody who got in touch and those who do listen but are just too chicken to get in touch. I know you're out there because you talk to me and say that you you do. But you just don't want to talk to us, which is fine. Well, yeah, it's fine. No, we we appreciate it. Listens, listens are valid. You don't have to get in touch to be valid. Okay. Uh, well, absolutely. Uh, we did have some uh, some feedback on our uh, social media chat. We were talking about the damage that uh, Facebook, oh. Instagram, and the like does. Emil got in touch with some graphs, which were done by the Royal Society for Public Health. Yes. Which showed the different impacts of well-being that the different platforms have, uh, and the only one which was a net positive, but only just. Was YouTube <laughs> barely? Yeah, yeah. So this is like self-reporting and f- effects on mental health, and even then, in a self-reporting system, only one of them crossed the boundary into overall positive. But there are negatives that are unmeasurable on those uh, those kinds of graphs as well. So oh, it was sad graphs. Oh, definitely. But on the back of that, Shanana Beatty uh, got in touch. Hi, Shanana. Hi. Who said uh, that clearly the people who did this didn't have the right Twitter feed because mine is super positive. It revolves around Seesaw Parade. Uh, But seriously, this all does track with my experience and one of the reasons I stick to YouTube and Twitter because everything else feeds on my worst emotional states, which absolutely is is bang on. And as you even uh, tweeted that, Shanana, it did make me think of my Twitter, the, the main one that I use... 
out of the 17 different accounts I have. And <laughs> on that main Twitter feed, it is mainly just people talking about the bad and terrible things that bad and terrible people yeah. terrible people have done. And then I click on it and think, oh, that's really bad and terrible. Okay, I'm going to go to sleep now. Yeah. And it's it's not good. And this, I think we've talked about it before, how it surprises me that everybody always tries to dunk on Twitter as like the cesspool of the internet, yep. when it's still one of the few that you actually have the most control over your 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 what you see now yeah there are cross-pollination elements to twitter nowadays but it's still way lower than the other social media so you're everybody's way more in control and i think when someone's like twitter's the worst thing and i hate everything on it so like that tells you a lot of a lot about you and less about the platform as it stands right and uh, you're clearly following the wrong people yeah and if you are on our twitter uh, or rather, if you follow us on Twitter, then you will get to see nice things, which is basically us spamming the links <laughs> yeah. for the episode. But you're still following the wrong people. What are you doing? <laughs> yes, well, thank you very much for, for getting in touch and for uh, everyone who is uh, still a, an avid listener of the show. We do appreciate you very much. This is Scotland's longest-running season one of any entertainment-slash-mainly-news-slash-politics-slash-sports-as-it-is-today yes. podcast mm-hmm. in history. Can't believe it. It is also your new Favourite podcast, Scotland's least old podcast, and officially less popular than breadsticks. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Which really are overrated. I think the ones you get in, you know, the crunchy, like, shop-bought ones, really disappointing. Whereas if you go to, like, a nice Italian... Depends what you do with them. You get, like, real breadsticks, and they're great. Yeah, proper bread breadsticks. Top quality. I, we are we are worthy of being less popular than those. Oh, I'm I'm definitely okay with that. You can get in touch with the show at Seesaw Parade on Twitter, seesawparade at gmail.com if you've got something to review, which we will get to later on. And you can also just reach out to us directly. Hey. I'm, I'm literally in person. You can reach out to us and say, hey, yeah. listen to your show. It was rubbish. Here's what I think. You can, you can do that, yeah. And uh, yeah, we really appreciate you doing that. I'll write it down in my notebook and then... Give you feedback. Even better. But James, uh, it has been a a busy spell since we were last together, so let's crack on with some really depressing news to cheer everybody up. Oh, yeah. Okay, James, well, we've been here before. This is a British MP mm-hmm. who was murdered. This is Sir David Amos, who was stabbed multiple times on Friday during a meeting with his constituents in Essex. A 25-year-old man is being held under the Terrorism Act, and I presume he will soon be charged with murder once things have been uh, all settled legally. Yeah. His family, the family of uh, Mr. Amos, have said they were trying to understand why this awful thing has occurred. And uh, yeah, Mr. or rather Sir David was uh, 69, married with four daughters and a son, and he'd been the MP for, uh, I believe it was the South End region, mm-hmm. uh, sorry, Basildon for ni- from 1983 until 1997, and then South End West for the last 24 years. No. Clearly, from all the, the tributes that came in, and, and the one thing I did note from the coverage was that you realised that this guy was actually just like a decent bloke who people knew, and people and seemed to, certainly in the, the stories I read, did the MP thing, yeah. which is people, his constituents came to him and said, hey, I have a problem. Can you help? Yeah. And he was like, yeah, I'll see what I can do. And in some cases, he did. 
No, it seems like he 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 represented his people and cared about them. There 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 are several stories of him doing uh, his utmost to get things passed, uh, even independently, uh, on the behalf of or for the sake of his uh, constituents. And you know that is a sign of someone who, who's doing politics for the right reasons. And you know it's shocking to me that we're still seeing our MPs in such vulnerable situations. Um, yeah. We've we've experienced this before in our lifetime, and I, I've not been here that long. Um, and I, I, we can remember previous attacks, some that ended in death. Um, it seems to me like we're making mistakes in the country if we're getting this many uh, attacks on politicians. So it, it leads on to the wider question because, as with with these sorts of incidents, and there are a, a couple in today's show. These where people have died in horrendous ways. Yeah, it, it leads on to bigger questions, as you've said there, James. The fact that this is the second in living memory, in recent memory, where a politician has been murdered in broad daylight. Essentially, he was just he was in a church. He was in a church meeting constituents, and someone came in and stabbed him to death. Yeah. So Joe Cox, of course, is the the one from I believe six years ago, where the same thing or something very similar happened. She was yeah, five or six. murdered in a uh, horrendous way. And this is a, an incredibly sad state of affairs to be in. And we were discussing, you know, do politicians need protection at this point? I'm just seeing a story today yeah. where a man's yeah. been arrested for erecting uh, like many gallows outside the House of Commons, which uh, seems incredibly crass. It's crass. It's, it's a different genre of uh, thing, I would, I would suggest. Right. But, 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 also, but also the fact that that's even a thing. You can protest against the politicians without essentially insinuating they should be hung. So <laughs> Yes, you can. So my question then is, first of all, about the security of politicians. Is is this now the, the world we're in, where essentially they all need to have the, the, the kind of security levels which would usually only be reserved for the yeah. the most important? As far as I am aware, we, we tried it, basically, after... Um, the death of Joe Cox or the killing of Joe Cox, there was an attempt, I believe, to give all the MPs some form of security that was tighter, that was more uh, stringent and blah, blah, blah. But it was also more expensive and it was deemed that we couldn't bear that cost. Now, much like many things that are public spending on stuff, I believe that paying for security for people who are just under threat because of their job, not because of the things they do within their job, but just because of their job, uh, we probably can afford it. And it's money that isn't going to be going anywhere except into our own borders because security. Um, So it seems like unusual to me that it's deemed unnecessary or too expensive. And I'm going to say that this is yeah, even more evidence that it's needed. Do I think that the Tories are going to start caring really hard about MP security or that many other parties are? I don't really think so. They're probably going to try and turn this into yet more authoritarian, like we must clamp down on internet freedom to tell MPs that they are doing their jobs poorly and stuff like that. Uh, right. So, yeah, they need security, but... It's going to be the repeat of last time. We might try it, but it will be deemed too expensive, even though it seems to me incredibly necessary. Yeah, well, well, that's that's the the issue. Is that I mean, who who's going to deem it too expensive? I'm sure politicians at this point, having now seen two of their colleagues lose their lives just doing their jobs in the last few years, is enough to make them say, well, regardless of the cost, this is what we've got to do. 
yeah, hopefully they realize that twice is enough that it's not just random. And granted, the attacks are for very different reasons. Um, you know, very, very much both extremists, uh, one deliberate target chosen and one like soft target chosen. For in this second one here was just an extremist doing an act of terrorism and therefore any MP is a valid target. Um, as far as we know, yes. As far as we know, like, yeah, sorry. I shouldn't be say- stating things quite so strongly. Um, but that's the kind of attack that makes this security thing far more needed. It's, it's just a constant threat. It's always going to be there so long as the UK is generally being the bad guy by doing this and that all over the world. Um, so unless we're going to change our entire global policy and cleanse ourselves of uh, centuries worth of sins overnight... This this is going to be a threat forever. So we better we better just start facing it and treating it like it's valid. My thoughts on this, but before we move on, because I feel we've covered it well already, is the fact that you're right. Unless there is some global shift or or some national shift in what the government is doing, or at least seen to be doing, or the party in charge is doing, mm-hmm. then the likelihood is there will be f- a further incident down the line. Yeah, and because there won't be, in my mind, a shift like this, yes, then something has to be done, and that will be a case of yeah, you're going to have to up security for everybody, and that is what seven hundred odd people. It's a lot of people. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of it is a lot of people. A lot of money, but that money is being spent here in our borders to heighten security, well, and also other places when the MPs are visiting those places, of course. But it's just, it's just. Uh, and it's not just for the MPs as well. Like if you're if you've got security, that keeps everybody else that is in those uh, public areas where the attacks can happen safe too. It's just everybody's safer, and safety seems important. Um, so I, I don't know. It's it's very strange to me, and I get that it's great to be in the UK where we've got such easy access to go face to face with our representatives and stuff like that. Yeah, but I don't think a few members of security are, is really going to erode that feeling of freedom. And also the the one thing, again, I believe the media do have a role to play in certain wings, shall we say, of the media who like to portray people who aren't British, who aren't white, as inferior. Yeah. And it's continuing this rhetoric that yeah. then causes people to essentially end up in the wrong places of the internet yeah. and then carry out such horrendous acts, which again, we'll, we'll mention uh, Norway and, and the Parkland shooting later on. And that to me is is a, in large part to do with essentially what they're hearing, what they're seeing, what they're reading. Yeah, th- there's a responsibility not to make it easy to to take those vulnerable individuals and transform them in, into transform them into an extremist, uh, for whatever reason, whether it be through religious leanings, their ethnic leanings, leanings, ethnicity, or um, just general loneliness and stuff like that. All of those things can be taken advantage of if people are made to feel like an outsider all the time. So yeah, you're right. There is a big responsibility on everybody to change the way we treat all of the people within our borders and out with our borders to make them not feel like they're an other and an outsider so that they're less likely to be taken advantage of. Because this is something that is, it's very telling that something like this happens and then we know kind of the story as to why. It's like, yeah, well, it'll be someone who's 
uh, third generation UK from people who immigrated some time ago and they've been swayed by the internet to become whatever they've become. And it's like a repeating story. Surely there's more we can do to tackle it. Okay, let's move on. Let's talk about another big story in the news today. And it's COVID. Surprise, surprise. And this is the news that, according to health leaders down south, COVID restrictions must immediately be reintroduced in England if the country is to avoid stumbling into a winter crisis. So this was the NHS Confederation who said that a backup strategy or a plan B, which includes mandatory face coverings in crowded and enclosed spaces, needs to be implemented right away. And this is because UK cases have been rising sharply and uh, deaths as well. We're at the the same levels we saw back in March. Now, whilst they are well below the peak... Yeah, post-peak death rate, yeah. They are still going up. Well, hundreds per day at this point. Oh, th- well, yeah, they're going up in hundreds, in some cases thousands. And in the last few minutes, this is uh, Wednesday evening, Sajid Javid has said that COVID cases could hit 100,000 a day. Come the winter time, the numbers, but that are so high. I don't. We've got. We've only got so many people, <laughs> <laughs> right? But just just add to that. He also said four million people have now had a booster, ah, and they? that uh, they've they've bought doses of two antiviral drugs to help COVID treatment, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. we're now up to today, uh, Wednesday. 50,000 cases almost, which means it's the eighth day in a row of more than 40,000 cases and 180 deaths today as well, which is still significantly below the peak, but it's still 180 deaths. Yeah, the deaths are below peak, but the ca- if the cases keep going, the, the, the total deaths is going to be a huge number again, right. uh, just over time, because we've not been below 20,000 as a nation of the UK rather than a Scotland. We've not been below a total of 20,000 cases per day in a long time. Like, I don't think we've gone below 20,000 uh, average seven days since the third wave. So that's a lot of deaths if, if you're just not seeing the case rates go way back down to the to the low thousands, if not lower. So it's scary already. Oh, definitely. My question here is, as, we're th- as you, you say, though, the cases are high. Deaths are low and people in hospital and intensive care is also relatively low. However... Yeah, it's relative. However, this warning today from essentially one of the most senior groups in the health service saying that things need to be or restrictions need to be brought in again now. Yeah. Especially considering the fact that the vaccine rollout, as the UK government have touted for quite some time, has been... A great success on the whole. Mm-hmm. How do you balance the two? Because the vaccine rollout has been successful. People are largely vaccinated. Deaths are lower. People in hospital is lower. But the cases are still really, really high. So to me, yeah. if they attempt to bring in any restrictions again, like for example, face masks, and this is the difference, I must state, for people who are uh, outside of Scotland. In Scotland, the rules are, or the law still is, you must wear a face, ma- uh, a face mask inside. And whilst, of course, there are some people who are who have decided no, yeah, because they're selfish and stupid. Yes, yes, that is the law, and same with public transport. Whereas in England, it's optional, and that is what the difference is here. This uh, group saying, "Hey, no, we need to bring these restrictions in and make it mandatory again." But 
my question, sorry, a very long-winded question. How do how does the public react to that the, if the yeah, government say, no. you know what, actually, let's bring the face masks back in? Because surely the response will be, yeah. oh, but we're all double vaccinated. Everyone's had their booster. Let's not do it. Yeah, everything's been such a great success. Why would we have to do it if everything is so good? And it is. It's like right. the government's being yelling this line of massive success, victory over COVID for a bit too long that now when they're needing to kind of say like, hang on, we still need to do some fights. It's a bit late. And I don't think people are really going to buy it if they're already not buying it. I don't think there's much we can do to change their mind. Um, so I, I'm, I'm on the same side. They've got a, they've got a big battle to face if it is necessary. And I'm not surprised that it is necessary because the NHS has been in crisis mode since day one. It hasn't left crisis mode. And the winter is usually a crisis on its own. <laughs> if the winter's a crisis just by itself, then COVID winter, even though we've done it before, is obviously going to be a big crisis, especially if we're not doing anything to try and keep the numbers down, which, as far as I'm aware, in England, they still aren't. Um, and yeah, like it's great. Up here in Scotland, we've got lots of uh, mask mandates. And I was out to the dentist this week, so I was on public transport a couple of times, and I will say the mask wearing to mask... Uh, abstaining was heavily in favor of the maskers, so I was pleased with that. Uh, it's it's still good to see that we are trying hard up here. And yep. if you look at the numbers in Scotland, even of all that effort, we're still in crisis mode. So there's a, there's a lot of work to do before the even colder months start kicking in. So on the back of that, then, as you said, something has to be done because it's only October. Yeah, and I, I believe particularly down south, we've seen this rise due to the fact the schools have gone back because they go back in September. Yeah, as you predicted. Indeed, because I'm very wise yes. and smart. Yes. And handsome. Hmm. But uh, the, the thought is, of course, they're going to have their half-term break soon, which is what Sajid Javid has just said. Yeah. And uh, there, there will be a natural break. Oh, yeah. But again, when people get back together, and particularly with Christmas coming up, then the case is going to go up. So... I think as much as the NHS groups and other people will warn and say, hey, I think we should do this, I fail to see a situation in which the UK government agree and say, you know what, yeah, you're right, because I believe they're holding so true to their, or so strongly to the vaccine success that anything other than, nope, we're just going to soldier on, will be seen as almost like, oh, okay, we didn't quite nail it as much as we said we did. Is that fair? And and the numbers are in their favour for doing that because of the death rate. We have it very low comparatively. Other countries have much lower case rates and higher death rates than we do because they haven't got a successful vaccine programme. So the government can just use those numbers to be like, look, we're still doing well. We don't have to change. All these other countries are massive failures. But it's like, well, if everybody's got a failing grade and then you also a failing grade but you're just a little bit closer to not failing it's still failing so you still need to do work but that doesn't land they can just use their entire media empire that is pro this government to get out the message that you know things might be hard for some people and there's a lot of cases but not so many people are dying and that's fine but again so look at the numbers it's, it's hundreds per day that stacks up very fast and every single one of those people matters so we got to treat them like they do, but the government doesn't do that. It's, it, it's just a success. Yeah. Okay, well, just on before we move on, let's talk about the report that the MPs, uh, a cross-body coalition of MPs wrote earlier in October. Ah, which yeah, yeah, yeah. Headline, uh, the headline of which stated that the country's failure to do more to stop COVID spreading early in the pandemic was one of the country's worst public health failures ever. Mm-hmm. So... 
the, the government approach, uh, which was backed by the scientists at the time, Wait, was yeah. to try to manage the situation and essentially achieve herd immunity by infection, which then led to a delay in introducing the first lockdown. And this report has found that cost yeah. thousands of lives. So there's a 150-page document. It does focus mainly on England, um, but I, I imagine... A similar report in other countries would uh, in the UK would find the same thing. Yeah. So, some of the early failings here, James, uh, according to the report, resulted from apparent groupthink among scientists and ministers. What does that mean? Everybody patting each other's backs and saying, "Oh, good job. We thought so good together. All of our thoughts are exactly the same, and there's no need to examine things when everybody's thinking the same way." Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I don't think it's on the scientists uh, alone. Like, it was really weird to me that the, the only time that you see, like, uh, the, the the caveat that things are backed by the scientists is when it goes wrong. It's like, the government did a bad thing, but the scientists said to. But like, when it's good and the scientists said to do it, it's like, the government did it. Um, everything they've done has had scientists saying this and that. And I guess maybe they invited the wrong people to the meetings because there was a lot of scientists all over the world saying we shouldn't do herd immunity. So it's just the people at this very specific table who were group thinking their way into this strategy. And I don't even think Boris was there. I think he was still on holiday when we were making those decisions. He he probably was still skipping the meetings. There's there's all sorts of things that are hugely uh, wrong. Just just at that point, when I listened to a report about this report, they played one of the early clips from the pandemic, which was Boris at a press conference saying, "Ah, I went to, I went to a hospital the other day, and I I shook hands with everybody who was there. I didn't even wash my hands between handshakings. <sighs> and it's and it's it's aged." So badly. But even at the time, I remember we talked about As this. As I left the hospital, I licked each of my fingers. <laughs> I remember at the time we spoke about this and we said the scientists are explicitly saying to avoid doing these things. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Th- this report to me was... was not a surprise at all. I was actually surprised a little bit as to how strongly it was worded, Occasionally, but it yes. does say that uh, essentially in the early stages, the UK wasn't open to the different approaches regarding the pandemic. For example, border controls, uh, an earlier lockdown, <laughs> what? and test and trace. Yeah, and even when we started doing those things, we failed at them. Didn't do them well. Uh, so yeah, there was, there's the occasional like strongly worded sentence in the report, but overall it's all very much like, but we did our best. <laughs> Hey, we tried. The scientists said to do it. We did. We did what we could. It's like, but you didn't. You didn't know, did you? Uh, and again, at the end of the report, it's very much like lessons will be learned. <laughs> yes, but we late. don't need to like punish anybody for failing. We'll just learn from the failures. There's no such thing as like people losing their jobs in government. Yeah, that there have been. Uh, of course, journalists went to speak to indirect victims of the pandemic, and particularly this article here, a woman who lost two twin sisters and her mum over the the space of a few weeks is said, has responded to this by essentially saying uh, the government needs to go to a public inquiry now to to see who's culpable and then take action. But again, the chances of that happening, uh, very slim. Maybe like in a decade, um, you know, they've decided to do it once the once COVID is over, so they can just hold on to that forever because COVID is the is the new flu. It's going to stick around. Um, but I, I, we might see we might see some system changes or like it's it's just so painful that it took so much loss of life to see any sort of a hint that maybe 
uh, we did a, we did some things wrong. But I don't think the actual people in charge of it have recognized that yet. It's still just this one report that is recognizing it. Right, James, let's move on to entertainment, but we're actually going to start with a little bit of a, a review slash news story. Oh. So. Okay. This is the, uh, what we've, before we get on to, to what we've been watching. Yes. This is the, the controversy at Netflix over the new uh, Dave Chappelle comedy special, which I watched. Okay. So let me just give you this. Uh, now, I did not know about, or rather, I had seen maybe like a sentence about uh, the show, The Closer. It's a stand-up special. I'd seen maybe a sentence about it right. uh, where someone was a little bit unhappy. And I was like, eh, okay. Watched the show and then thought, right, <laughs> I can see why there is some anger about this. The latest news in this, because there was a, uh, a planned, I think there's a planned walkout. Mm-hmm. Um, there has been a lot of criticism from, from within Netflix itself for allowing this particular comedy special to air. And I'll explain why in just a second. And uh, we, we had people suspended at Netflix for one of whom interrupted a big important meeting to essentially stand up and shout at the big wigs. Which they were invited to. To, to say, hey, why are we allowing this? Oh, wait. these sort of comments being made by a comedian? Maybe it's a different person. Someone did get fired for attending a meeting that they were actually invited to, so they've been rehired and they're getting compensated, which the, I think is funny. Yeah, there's been lots of drama at, at Netflix, and uh, yeah, in the last few hours, the Netflix co-CEO Ted Sarandos has said he screwed up over a series of memos he sent to staff defending this Dave Chappelle special. Oh, yeah, it's just a big mistake. And <laughs> lessons learned, you know, we don't need to examine the past, we'll just learn. Okay, so this is, let me review the show and then we'll go okay. back to, to Netflix. Right. And, uh, and the, the, the bigger questions that they have to answer because they do have a lot to talk about and a lot to deal with. So, yeah. this is the final special that Dave Chappelle is doing for for Netflix. He has done, uh, I want to say, five or six so far. And uh, yeah, this is the last one. This is, yeah, six, yeah, I think. Dave Chappelle's specials have been evidence of the law of diminishing returns in that (laughs) some of his early specials, Mm -hmm. I think the first one, Equanimity, maybe was the second one, was really funny. Mm -hmm. It was excellently written. It was, uh, was, you know, jokes which were borderline enough that were funny because they were well set up, they were uh, well composed, and they, they were edgy without being phobic, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And Dave Chappelle, if you know who he is, again, has a long history with uh, American comedy. The Chappelle Show back in the early uh, 2000s was, uh, and is still regarded as one of the best sketch slash comedy shows in history. And some of those sketches from the early 2000s, from that particular program, are some of my favourites. So, mm-hmm. that takes us to this, the, the closer. The problem with it is that it isn't particularly funny at all. Right. And that this edginess has now just been replaced with going beyond the line in the sand because he can. Right. And he's leaning into the controversy he generated from previous specials. So there are, for example, borderline jokes slash comments about Jews, Asians, women, the Me Too movement, lesbians, gays, and particularly trans people. And with the trans issue, yes. rather than just mention it, 
in like a five minute segment and move on. He brings it up constantly right. throughout this 72-minute special. It's not just like, uh, oh, let me talk about the community for a second and then I'll move on. It's it's constant. He just keeps going back to it. It is the main thing he talks about, and it is actually, and I looked this up, the sixth special in a row in which he's raised the trans issue. Hmm. Right. I wonder so, if maybe there's something behind that. Maybe. So we've talked countless times on the show about where the line is in comedy. My view yes. is that everything in comedy is fair game because nobody can be the arbiter of what's funny and what's not. It is subjective. Right. What I find funny slash acceptable when people make jokes about gays or Christians, for example, is totally unacceptable for other people. However, yeah. however, things that Mr. Chappelle says in this special begin to cross the line into actual phobia and discrimination dressed up as comedy okay. rather than acerbic, you know, cutting commentary on important social and cultural issues that he has done in previous specials like Equanimity, which was, uh, I think, in 2017. And that is a real shame because, as I say, some of his previous work over the decades is some of my favourite material. Now, yeah. there are a, a handful of trans jokes on this show which are funny, but this isn't laugh-out-loud stuff. It's like a wry smile. And at the end of the special, he brings out a classic anecdote mm-hmm. to make his argument. Oh, no. Which he he attempts to portray the trans people he does like and what he wishes trans people were all like oh. by, uh, by affirming that there was this one trans person, uh, Daphne Dorman, it yeah, was one of his yeah. best pals, and she helped to create this great show this one time in San Francisco. And it's like a weird attempt to be like, hey, yeah. there was this one person who liked my borderline transphobic jokes, so therefore you should all just be more chill. Yeah, well, well, the, the, <laughs> it, just, the, it just doesn't work. The big story in terms of that is that there was one trans friend of his who supported his previous show, which people yeah. called Phobic, who then got massively brigaded by people on Twitter who then took their own life. So it is tragic loss because some trans person stood up for Chappelle's like tra- trans humor. Uh, and, yep. you know, again, that's just massive misuse of Twitter. Uh, but I, yeah, the, Chappelle, I, I don't mean to super interrupt. I'll, I'll do my brief description <laughs> okay. of what he's become for me. He's, he's very clearly an intelligent comedian when he's got time. Uh, to think about jokes. Yes. Um, and he's very clearly an intelligent comedian when it comes to h- humor on the, the racial inequality that he faces. And then he is completely stupid and completely lacking in knowledge when it comes to the idea of like basic intersectionality, where you can have different people with different characteristics and because of those different characteristics they have different perspectives and different abilities to let's say make jokes about things right and i think his in his view it's just like well as a as he's like well as as someone who is racially abused in america i'm i'm clearly the bottom of the totem pole and therefore everybody's fair game Uh which is lacking this idea that what puts him to the bottom of the totem pole doesn't mean that other people can't also be there for something else, right? A trans person mm-hmm. isn't fair game because they are also just generally abused far too much by every single edgy comedian there is who think that trans people just need to be targeted more. Uh, so it's just this very huge gap of knowledge that I'm amazed he is just digging further into. It, it is the one thing I'm a bit like, yeah, so of all the communities who really do need to be 
you know, insulted and abused some more. The trans community, they just don't get enough of it. So let's just do it some more. Yeah. Anyway, just, just before Which I... I think I, is hold on, hold on. a comedic bit by someone. Let me finish this bit first. So yeah. Dave's whole argument in this show hinges on... I was making a joke, so therefore I take no responsibility if you were offended. Yeah, which is just so stupid. <laughs> and the two perceptions of the show will either be he is making legitimate points designed to shock and shake us back to reality, or, in my view, he's making excuses for masking a refusal to well, update his own worldview. Yeah. And it's also very hard to be on his side when he announces he's on Team Turf. Team Turf, that one blew my mind. <laughs> right. He either doesn't know what Team Turf is, yep. or he's a turf. <laughs> and either one of those just shows a lack of knowledge. And also, just even just the little things like making fun of slash adding dozens of letters to LGBTQ. It is not that difficult, Dave. It is five letters. Like teenager jokes. That's like 12-year-old jokes. Like people, It's people literally, make that... literally teenage jokes. Like LGBT, ABC, TTFQ. Ha Got him. He must. It must have got that one from Crowder. <laughs> right? Okay, anyway, reviews of this show have been similarly lukewarm or, or tepid, beyond uh, below lukewarm. And as we've talked about at the start there, there's been a lot of backlash against Netflix for this show. Right. It is not worth your time unless you are diehard Chappelle and want to be disappointed. Now, I appreciate <laughs> there is a level of, of self-awareness and self-deprecation he is he is attempting to work through in this special. Yeah, yeah he's, he's clever enough to get that, yeah. It totally fell flat for me because, and here's the, here's the key point, I'm unable to separate the human from the performer, and I'm unable to say, right, is this him speaking, or is this him, like him, the comedian? For example, right. he makes a... Felicio related joke about the Me Too movement. Right. And you clearly realize, oh, okay, he said that for laughs. He doesn't genuinely believe that. Whereas there's certain things you're thinking, wait, is he joking or is, or did he actually mean that? And that's and I know to some people that's like, oh, it's art, it's edgy. No. <laughs> it it that's what lost me. It was the fact that yeah. it stopped being edgy, it just started being unpleasant. He called me out specifically, um, because I'm the only person who's ever said this. He called out the idea of like what punching down is of humor. Uh, declaring his own ignorance by acting like he didn't understand what the concept meant. So I, I don't know. did you what? Did you watch the special? I've just seen enough of it to know that I don't want to see the whole thing. Okay, fair enough. Uh, uh, just off the back of that, what role does Netflix have in hosting or even financing, producing, and then publishing a show like that? Is there a, a place for it? There's a place for hosting edgy humor. I am I am of the same opinion as you for like from the right person with the right perspective and the right experience, anything can be joked about, right? I'm pretty sure someone that went through the experience of uh, someone in a concentration camp can make an accurate joke about concentration camps that I cannot do. And if I tried to do it, it would be very insensitive and I'd be worthy of like losing my career over. Um, so there are these situations but it's not that difficult to realize when someone is making fun of a thing that they do not have the perspective on to make fun of and they're just making a big deal out of their own ignorance because they think that something's funny because they don't understand it or they think it's an easy target because they don't understand it so i don't know what netflix could have done with this one but i feel like the only people who win when someone makes this kind of a special are all of the freedom of speechy, edgy right-wingers who act like everything is funny until you make fun of them. 
in which case you're crossing a line and you need to lose your job or you make fun of Jesus and then you're crossing a line and you need to lose, lose your job, right? <laughs> uh, so Chappelle here puts out a special. The winners are the Tucker Carlsons of the world uh, yep. who all of a sudden have the biggest backbone in the world uh, who, who, can, who think that every single joke is fine until you make fun of his integrity or his stupid bow ties, you know? And then it's anger time. And just before we we wrap up this section, because we have covered it in depth, do you think that Netflix will shy away from any similar controversy in the past? I feel I'm answering my own question here. No, 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 no. Ricky Gervais is getting a special like announced next week and it's going to be called like bashing trans people or something. (laughs) No, that would actually be too direct. It would actually be ironic. It It wouldn't be called that. It would be like, it would be like featuring JK Rowling for 10 minutes of poetry or something like that as (laughs) an artistic thing. Right. Well, let's move on and talk about what, what else you've been watching. I know you've got a, a series and I have a, a film. Let's hear it. Yes, yes, yes. I've watched the entirety of What If, the Marvel show. Okay. We, we, we kind of talked about it a wee bit. The animation being the main difference between this and other shows. It's a sh- shorter episode length animated. Freedom is grasped by whatever you want to grasp freedom by. Okay. Um, to... to express different elements of his stories so and just, seeing... just before you go any further this is the tv show which is basically like speculating hey what if the marvel universe was a bit different yeah what if this person had this superpower instead okay. basically or like what if like this person was standing here at the right time blah 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 <laughs> right. um and it was one episode short of what it was meant to be so there's just really awkward clunky moment where suddenly there's a there's a what if character that you hadn't seen yet and they're doing like something else you know well, hang on a second am i supposed to know you uh, but anyway <laughs> okay. um early on i was buying it loved it it was really cool seeing the, what their ideas are doing but y- you know with just the way the what if situation is going that there is is going to be this massive uniting thing that brings several characters from several different what if universe branches together to do one big battle and the one big battle was really underwhelming to me um i think they had good moments i think the whole show is worth watching if you enjoy this kind of thing uh, there are questions to be answered because it's an animated show they're taking a, a, a shortcut or two here or there that sometimes maybe kind of changed the rules of Marvel as a whole. Um, so maybe they'll address those. Uh, and I, like, if you're a Marvel fan, this is a good show. But if you're not, eh, it's easily skippable. It's fine. It's um, right, right. So worth that, it that's, for that's me. My, the, the question I would ask, which is, is this show worth watching if you know it's really inconsequential? It's worth watching if you're the people who, like kind of like Marvel, but are tired of the formula. Okay. Because the first few episodes don't do the formula. In fact, most of the episodes don't do the formula. Um, be, well, they have they all have their the heroes kind of winning, but mostly there's also losses going on and different characters with different backgrounds, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then in like the, the, the overall arc of the show does follow the formula of like heroes powered up and we've got the hero shots and blah 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 and we take down the bad guy ha 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 um so there there are there's new things getting explored it is nice it is cool if you're a casual fan or if you really like it i'm sure you'll enjoy it but it's not i would not recommend it to people who just want to watch good tv let's say (laughs) right okay um and the the audio the the dialogue is a bit flat and the uh acting is as stale as you expect from from screen actors doing voice acting it's not the best 
Um, although Chadwick Boseman is is in this as his final performance in Marvel, so if you're a big fan of him, you may want to see his final few appearances in the Marvel Universe in in uh, a character he's voiced. Okay, well, I'm going to take your bat on and uh, run with it over to Lucasfilm and Star Wars, right. because ah. myself and Graham are now on film eight. In the Ooh. Star Wars franchise, which is The Last Jedi. The big one, the controversial one. So my recollection, James, after leaving the cinema, was I thought that I was like, oh, that was okay. Right. Whereas now I watched it back and I thought, I hate this. <laughs> I hate it with every fibre of my being. All right. All right. It's a big change, Colin. And there are some legitimate reasons for that. And do you know what it was? I think it's because in the cinema... You're surrounded by, in that case, you know, it must have been opening night or the second night, probably like an extra 300 people. So if someone is laughing at a joke, some, you know, similarly to a comedy show, yeah, trickles. You're, you're surrounded by people laughing. You're kind of taken up by the moment. <laughs> Trickle down laughter, yeah. Whereas when you watch the film in isolation and it's just the two of you in your living room on a Tuesday, yeah. you realize this film is bad. It's not carrying anymore. It is bad. <laughs> I'm not surprised, to be honest. <laughs> and... Uh, and do you know what it is? I, I talked about this uh, with the the first film of the new trilogy. This is the the, the latest trilogy. So yes. you know, Adam Driver as Kylo Ren, Daisy Rid- uh, Daisy Ridley as Ray, John Boyega yeah. uh, as Finn, and uh, the the rest of this merry band. Pretty of big cast. Intergalactic warriors, massive cast. Yeah. What I really liked about the first film back is that there is one kind of throwaway, meant to be funny. Marvel-esque joke. There is one right, in yeah. the entire movie. Yeah. I lost count of how many attempts there were in this so one. So many. And it's not even close to being funny. Not a single line, not a single gag yeah. worked. Yeah. And that's just the start of the problems. Yeah. The plotting, the character decisions, the logistics of some of these things just blew my mind. So, for example, there's a scene at the very end where they're all in this one rebel base, yeah, and suddenly the, the, ground, yeah. the the big the big door that that's protecting them gets blown apart, right? And here come the bad guys, yes. And in the intervening ten minutes between the the door being blown up and the bad guys, you know, actually doing something, they just have this big conversation. They think about you know the possibilities, yeah, and they're like, all right, well, well we're all gonna die now. Oh wait. Oh, look, there's Luke Skywalker. Where'd he come from? Oh, he's just been hanging around in the background for however long. How did he get there? Yeah. When? Yeah. And just all this stuff happens. And Graham's like, why are the bad guys just waiting? They're, got, like, they're, they, got, they're on the leg. <laughs> they're on the big leggy gun boys. The big leggy gun boys yeah. take a while. They're slow. The logistics of this film, just little things like that, which make zero sense. Right. And Right. All, all this stuff. And then, and then we get to the character of Rose. No, mm-hmm. this is a tough one. There was a lot of pushback against this particular character, and I do believe in part of it. Uh, part of it was from hardcore Star Wars Star Wars fanboys who did not like the fact that there was an Asian girl or an Asian woman. Oh, yeah, yeah. In there... one of in a pretty leading role in this movie, and I think she yeah. was. There was very big sexist, racist, racist pushback that was definitely absolutely unacceptable and undeserved. However, her story arc. And particularly the, the the finale, the big finale of her arc, yep. is so mm-hmm. mind-numbingly stupid and ill-thought-out, mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Graham's reaction as soon as uh, as soon as Rose, you know what happens. Rose crashes into Finn yes. just as he's about to blow up the big Death Star thing. <laughs> somehow, somehow crashes into him. May I add? Because oh, yeah. she managed to zoom in a big U-turn around the whole situation <laughs> to take him sideways, T-bone out of the crash, and neither of them sustained any injuries, even though he was like way ahead of her a minute ago. Never mind. Anyway, they do the big kiss. So there's the logistical issue as you've described. Then she comes out with the line, and I'll quote you. <laughs> As as she has crashed into her, her pal Finn And he's like What were you doing? I was just about to blow up the big bad guy She says We're going to win this war Not by fighting what we hate But by saving what we love Yeah, I hated that line uh, Yeah, and that to me Epitomised this entire movie It is just a silly, silly film Which is unfunny Far too long With bad decisions and characters who are half-baked. And the whole, like, Admiral Holdo and Poe dynamic on the ship, which he eventually turns it around and fires it through a spaceship. That is the... The visual of that is one of the only saving graces of this movie. Oh, yeah. There are saving graces. Yeah. It's still not even close enough to salvaging what is a total mess, and it's only going to get worse yeah. with the final movie. And neither of us are really actually wanting to see it at this point. <laughs> Yeah, the visuals in this film are top quality, and even that went away for the final film, where it was just like, all right, nighttime battle again. Um, <laughs> the, I, the film lost me right at the start, where gravity was in space, um, and then the film lost me in the middle, where gravity was still in space. Um, so the, the only reason the ships aren't getting exploded is because for some reason the people chasing them are using... Um, weapons whose whose projectiles curve in space, and I don't know why, because space you can shoot things straight very easily if you want to. Uh, but the big the big one for me that I was just like, the, okay, they didn't think about how this film works is that if you are in space or even in water, and you're on a ship and there is a ship chasing you, you can go faster than the ship chasing you if you just chuck stuff off your ship we've seen it in the pirates of the caribbean yeah which is from the same parent company yeah chuck the cannons away you're suddenly you've got a greater acceleration you're lighter. going faster or in the in the sea option you're lighter and therefore the sails bring you further so even if every single ship in space had the same rate of acceleration just dump the excess cargo and then like the bad guys could do that and catch you you can do it and escape nobody was doing it i'm like okay Nothing matters at this point. We're supposed to buy in that everybody is incredibly stupid. And I couldn't buy in that everybody was incredibly stupid, and therefore I didn't like the film. Okay, dear listener, if you have finished a TV show, a a movie, a book, or you've had a really tasty meal, or perhaps you were really good at DIY, you can review what you have witnessed and send it to us, and we'll play it on the show. We haven't had one for a while, so let's get one in. I also uh, I showed Bo Burnham's Inside to my brother Chris, and he also loved it. So I will review it on his behalf. He said that was awesome. The music, the, 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 the album for that, or the songs from that, are not getting comedy Grammys. They've been disallowed. Yeah, I saw that. Why? That, I don't get it. They seem pretty funny and musical to me. It's a real shame because that is, again, is one of my highlights of this year. That I, I mean, that's the third time I've seen it, and it's still... Brilliant. Yeah, I think it's just the case that the Grammys, much like almost every awards program, just decides what we should like for us and doesn't actually care about people's perspectives on things. 
Okay, well, you can get in touch with the show in the ways I have described already, if you're paying attention. Let's uh, cover a couple of news stories before we hit a couple of trailers. The first one, James, I just want a, a quick thought on this. Okay. Catherine Han, who played the character of Agatha mm-hmm. in WandaVision, is getting a spin-off show. Right. <laughs> okay, now, just before I ask your thoughts, uh, this is uh, current, uh, currently in development uh, for Disney+, Plus from Marvel Studios. She was... Up until probably the end of the show, one of the highlights. She is a phenomenal actress, but the character itself... Yeah, excellent side character. Uh, at, the, at the very end, I was very much underwhelmed by it. But However, end, this is yeah, meant no, to the be... the actual reveal, yes. But right, the this is yes. meant to be a dark comedy. What do you think about this? Like they, 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 they could maybe pull it off. It, it does seem like a lot to bring a character who is designed to be like the background... <laughs> character who brings yes. some color to the show to just give them a whole show but maybe they'll maybe they'll find their way to do it uh the best news for me is just that Catherine Hans getting a good a good gig she did she did earn a good gig after this we did say that she'd earned a good gig and it turns out oh, yeah. she's earned the same gig but again which is fine that should be good <laughs> But the show, I'm not excited for you. We'll see. Yeah, it does feel unnecessary to me, but hey-ho, that's uh, what streaming services are for. all of them felt unnecessary, and I've I've enjoyed some of them, even though they all felt unnecessary, so hey. Okay, and one more piece of Marvel news. This is the the publication of the news that Adam Warlock, who is a character, in uh, first announced at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Six years ago, seven years ago. A long time ago, has now been cast yes. as Will Poulter. Now, yes. quick Google search and you'll see his face and you'll say, oh, it's that guy. It's that, yeah, it's him. Oh. It's this this dude who uh, I think most recently or perhaps more most famously uh, was in The Revenant. He's also in Detroit. Yeah. And I think he must have been in some like kids Maybe. TV shows on CBBC when we were growing up. He was up. in that, uh, that one comedy. Oh, yeah, so he was. Film with, with Aniston and whatnot. It was um, Vacation, was it? Oh, something like that. No, it wasn't that. Anyway, this guy is uh, now going to be Adam Warlock. I'm surprised by this because yeah. the way he was described, this Adam Warlock character at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 was very much like he was going to be some sort of Adonis Adam Poulter well, yeah. is not quite the Adonis I was expecting. Adam Warlock, incredibly strong character to be pulling from the comic books. This is like someone who who has gone toe-to-toe with Thanos. And my yeah. goodness, Thanos is the big bad guy. So yeah, no, they're, they're giving it... This is a very significant role if they are going to be giving the full character treatment. And yep, uh, if, you th- if you think about him and you remember his like, teenage years, it's a bit like, okay, I don't get it. But... He's kind of grown up pretty well. He's he's refined into a into a more uh, not not quite the like normal kind of a handsome, but the most noticeable feature of him is no longer just his expression. Right, uh, <laughs> that's a compliment. So I've seen a few interviews of him more recently, and he does he you can see it. You can see what they're going for. He's got the kind of he still has that kind of natural arrogant look around him, even though he sounds like an absolute charmer. Um, and I'm assuming that they'll put him through the usual Marvel bulk up regi- re- regime, where he'll or he'll be incredibly huge in no time because <laughs> yep. they've managed to get everybody into massively good shape with with, uh, with like ten out of ten success so far. So I, it will work. It'll be fine. Okay, let's uh, hit a couple of trailers. Sticking on the 
superhero theme, we have the first full trailer for The Batman, which is, if you've been under a rock, the new new Batman yeah. with Robert Pattinson yeah. playing the lead role. So here's a clip. I've been trying to reach you. Find the gun! This is about a king. And Rither's the match. I can take care of myself. If this continues, it won't be long before you've nothing left. I don't care what happens to me. It's only gonna get worse for you. Hear everything they say, ain't you? Maybe we're not so different. Who are you under there? Okay, James, what did you think of this? Well, it was very much like the teaser that we saw a very long time <laughs> yes, ago, but more of that. So I kind of I kind of liked it. Yeah, and do you know what I liked about this is the fact that it gave very little away whilst actually showing quite a lot. And I know that sounds like a, it did an oxymoron, sh- yeah. but it did. While I was watching it, I did think, man, I've, they've shown us a whole lot of stuff. And then after, I, my, my thought was, well, but I actually don't know what the plot right. is, so it's okay. And, and ultimately, if, if all you know of the plot is... The Riddler is involved and he is creating riddles for Batman and things are going wrong. You, you could have known that without needing a trailer. So to me, yeah. this was a successful trailer, but it did just feel like an extension of the teaser, which again, is fine. It's fine. It was. A, I think it was a good trailer on that front. It, it kind of showed us a general mood of the of the, of the the Batman in this instance. And and several of the other characters are seeing more of how Catwoman, Catwoman is going to be portrayed and how Penguin is going to be portrayed, which, yeah. my goodness, was that Colin Farrell? That is Colin is Farrell under... An enormous amount of prosthetics, which I think is it's very impressive. So, so very much not him that I was second guessing remembering who it actually is. Um, so the, we are seeing the the ways they're portraying characters, and I think it is like not the same as the more rec- most recent portrayals. So it's good to be okay. uh, doing something that feels a little bit fresh, even if quite a lot of them call back to specific comic issues or older films and stuff like that and yeah it looks like it's going to be super dark and gritty and we've had enough dark and gritty Batman uh, but I don't know how else you do Batman and do it well unless you're going for incredible amounts of like goofiness which when you hear that the Riddler's involved is what you expect so it's a dark and gritty Riddler too could be good. I also, before we move on, I do like the fact that uh, Paul Dano, who is one of my favourite actors, is playing the Riddler. We are yet to really see him. Yeah. We've seen the back of his head. Yeah. And that is it. We've heard, I think, his voice. Mm-hmm. And that's about it. And again, I think that's that's nicely handled because they clearly realise we may be onto something with this with this young chap. Let's keep him as a surprise. I hope they do. Yeah, I think I think they I think they might be digging in to make a few of these, and I hope they do. If it, if it's looking as like as well executed as the trailers are given the appearance of, if I end up liking this, I'm gonna really want more of it, and I don't want it to be the one-offs that I always call for, because uh, I do like one-offs as well. But sometimes you just have the right group of actors, and you want to see them stretch over time. Uh, and also, if we get more time for some more um, classic. Uh, Batman villains logos in coffee. I'm all for it. Okay, let's move on. One more trailer before we uh, finish up with some quick fire news. This is the trailer for Scream, which is, I believe, the fifth film in the franchise after Scream, Scream 2, Scream 3, Scream 4. Now we're back to Scream. Yeah. Here we go. Hello? It's happening. Three attacks so far. Do you have a gun? 
I'm Sydney Prescott. Of course, I have a gun. Something about this one just feels different. Samantha? I'm... I know who you are. I've been through this. A lot. This is your life now, which means that whoever this is is going to keep coming for you. You ready? Okay, James. Thoughts on this? It's 10 out of 10, Colin. It's a 10. <laughs> okay, why? Because they, they just all they did was pour all their energy into doing exactly what they wanted to. They didn't try to make this anything except a scream <laughs> film, uh, featuring some of the oldest cast uh, in the in the franchise, right? The, and Courtney Cox. <laughs> well, she's been around in the franchise, uh, so it, it's just it's just this really. You can, you can tell what I was trying to suggest. You can tell that they loved the IP and they tried to treat it like itself. They didn't try to go like, yeah, yeah. this is mine now and here's all my fingers in it. It's just going to be another Scream film. So what what more could you want from it? So I, I did like the trailer and I like the fact that they are clearly just leaning into the self-awareness of the fact they are making a Scream, a scream film again. Yeah. It's the fact that they've got um, Sidney Prescott, who is played by uh, Neve Campbell, who is reprising her role as the protagonist, who at this point has had so many of her like family just <laughs> get killed and murdered. She's done it. <laughs> Surely she has got to be the killer at some point, because she's just, like, everyone she's ever been with or been related to is dead. Yeah, that's the two the two big mega, not twists, but plot points that are getting predicted, is that either one of the main three returning is going to be the scream this time, or that one of them's finally going to die. Because surely you have to at some point. Uh, you have to do that at some point because you know you're five films in. Yeah, one of those feels inevitable. Yeah, but also I did like the fact that in the trailer, because they have to establish who she is for people who are unsure, <laughs> she states yeah. her full name. So here are my credentials. I have been in. I have been in several of these horror films, and I've survived every one. So, so the the character in the trailer asks her. Do you have a gun or do you have a weapon? And she says, I am Sydney Prescott. Of course I have a gun. And you say, oh, it's Sydney Prescott. Oh, of course. So my goal this week, James, is to, in some, in some form of conversation, refer to myself uh, like that. You see that? You should, just to see how it works. You should take up streaming. It's an easy time. You, just give, you can just immediately start grasping at all the things you always do and just refer to yourself as doing it. Perfect platform for it. My name is Colin Stone. Of course I've got an air of self-importance. <laughs> <laughs> See, yeah. I did it. It's easy. Yeah, I mean, you I, can I, do I, it. I was like, Try well, it. What? Prove it. You've got, well, I've got 267 episodes of a podcast recorded. <laughs> what do you think? Yeah, so I did like the fact that they just had that the little nod in the trailer, just so that people, and including myself, yeah. who was a bit like, okay, who's this again? Oh, I see, it's the lead character from the previous four movies. Yeah, yeah, that's so, what I'm here yeah. for. Like, this is a, this is gonna be a switch your brain off, enjoy the film, and just enjoy them doing the thing they've done well and doing it again. All right, James, some quick fire stories to take us home. Let's start with Newcastle. 
getting into the football. So this is the news that... <laughs> yes! Essentially, Saudi Arabia have bought Newcastle, mm-hmm. the football club, rather than the, the city. And it's not shady at all. No, no. Nothing to worry about. The government looked into it and they say it's fine. And they say it's fine. And it's nothing to do with the, you know, £300 million they've put into buying the club and all the stuff they said they're going to do, which is basically rejuvenate the city of Newcastle. But let's just forget about, you yes. know, all the war crimes. There's no politics involved in that. They're not trying to, like, make us all associate them with, like, a football team and, and uh, rejuvenating a city instead of war crimes. Nothing else. It's just it's a separate thing. Or, you know, the fact that the Saudis buy their weapons from us. Nothing to do with that. Or that they, they still have slaves there. You know, no. Don't think about it. Just think about Newcastle. They're, they're, it's a football team now. It's, they own it, and that represents a country. Yeah, or, or the fact that they, you know, execute gay people. You know, yeah, it's fine. It's totally fine because they bought it, football. Yeah, yeah. And, and But we've talked about this before, where there are so many countries out there doing this sort of soft politics, where they are investing in sports as a way to sports cleanse themselves. Sports washing, as you say, yes. And it's just another instance of it, and I hate it every time. It should not be allowed. <laughs> um, but if the government sees money and government goes, oh, saves us a little bit of money Yeah. So in the short term. But then in the long term they make the profits, so actually we do lose money, so the government is actually just yeah. being stupid. Oh, wow, surprise. Yeah, you, you kind of talked about it already, but just to give you some of the more recent headlines, the 20 clubs in the Premier League had a meeting and have voted to temporarily block teams from agreeing lucrative sponsorship deals linked to their club's own owners. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is, of course, to do with this uh, takeover by the Saudi Arabian regime. Mm-hmm. 18 clubs voted in favour of the ban. Man City abstained because, if you recall, dear listeners, uh-huh. Man City's owners mm-hmm. are based in the United Arab Emirates in Abu Dhabi. That's strange. How odd that they would wow. decide to abstain from said vote. Hmm. And yes, uh, this means that Newcastle will be prevented from signing sponsorship deals with any companies linked to Saudi Arabia's public investment fund, yeah. which now owns 80% of the club. And uh, James, the news today is that Steve Bruce, who's the manager of Newcastle, sorry, was the manager, has now left. Yeah. 13 days after the takeover. Which, which... You know, he wasn't doing the best job. It's not too big a surprise. He probably would have been out the door pretty soon anyway. I'm glad he got his thousandth game as a manager in before he got fired, you know. Um, But it still doesn't make me, like, pleased. Like, hey, the new owners have have a backbone and they got rid of a manager who was kind of failing. No, get out of here. Uh, I, I don't know how the fans feel. I'm not a Newcastle fan. I, I'm not subscribed to their subreddit. I don't know if this particular bit of news is making them happy or sad. Yeah, and ultimately the, it goes back to the major or bigger question of this whole sports washing, which, as you say, is where uh, some sort of regime or company, essentially, just like, hey... Yeah, oftentimes, yeah. We can make our image better if we do something nice. Like rejuvenate the city and yeah. put lots of money into a football club because everyone loves football. And that's essentially what's happening here. Yeah. And Let's just not talk about the, Mohammed bin Salman and the fact that uh, <laughs> exactly. yeah, yeah, Jamal yeah. Khashoggi was murdered and then dismembered in an embassy on your orders. Nothing to do with that. Yeah, but that's it. The more the more in, in, integral uh, a certain country or the leaders of a certain, a certain country can become to us and the money invested in our country, the less the less power we have to... To, to investigate or to flex or to, to tell them what to do because they were like, well, we'll just withdraw all that money. And everybody gets out their hands and goes, please, no, give me more money. Um, the biggest example ongoing we've talked about a few times is Gazprom, who are trying to uh, 
um, get get a new gas yeah. line or get the approval for a new gas line via this system of uh, making the populace like the company and therefore trust the company and the owners of that company to do the thing that will profit someone else's country. Okay, let's move on. Let's talk about uh, a couple more stories. Moving over to the States, a Florida man has pleaded guilty to murdering 17 people in the 2018 mass shooting at Parkland in Florida. So Nicholas Cruz, who's now 23, uh, also pled guilty to 17 counts of attempted murder for those he injured in the attack on Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. Yeah. And he faces the possibility of the death penalty or life in prison. It's one of the deadliest school shootings in US history. Yep, and like, I hope it brings, again, some sort of a level of peace to any of the families who are still fighting for justice. I hope it feels like justice for them um, when the final verdict is, is in place. And uh, it's mad to me how long these things take to come around. Um, but it's, I guess, due process and stuff. Takes, it takes a while to get things through the courts. Um, there's not much to say aside from hopefully it's someone put, a, put away for a, a long time, be more than long enough to completely reform, you know, and no longer be a threat in society to anyone, ever. And on a, a similar note, but back again in, in Europe, yeah, we had the horrendous uh, attacks in Norway last week where a man with a bow and arrow killed five people. Um, police say it was a, a Danish native who had been radicalised. He wounded uh, two other people as well as the, the five he killed um, in the attack in Kongsberg. Uh, a week last Wednesday. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, the, essentially what what appeared to happen was the police apprehended him. He ran away. He then killed several people and then the police arrested him for good. Yeah, which is horrible and messy when you hear the actual order events and that there was this huge opportunity to make it not happen and then yeah. massive failure allowing it to happen. Um, but the failures start earlier. We talked about it already in, uh, in the first parts of the of the episode. There, there is this massive issue we have with recognizing the problems and what allows people to be radicalized, and we're not investing enough infrastructure or, or time or like man hours into undoing that work. And there's another indication that we aren't doing enough, and that uh, more deaths have occurred due to this ability that that certain groups on the internet and in person i'm sure as well have to to turn someone into a weapon and it's through their insecurities or through their weaknesses and there is far more we can do as a society but also just as a state to to tackle these things before it's even possible okay and to finish us off for this episode uh, a slightly light-hearted-ish story reflecting upon the fact that, once again, people are incredibly stupid. This is the news that a US Navy nuclear engineer and his wife have been charged with trying to sell nuclear secrets Mm -hmm. to what they thought was a foreign state. So uh, Jonathan Tobe and his wife Diana were arrested uh, last weekend after allegedly trying to sell submarine design data for a nuclear sub which was hidden in a peanut butter sandwich to someone they thought was from another country, which in fact was actually an undercover FBI agent. So they've now been charged, and uh, I'm sure that'll be coming to court soon. But this is, um, yeah, quite the story. Yeah, I I just feel like on top of all the myriad mistakes they made to get to this situation, they chose the wrong type of sandwich. (laughs) 
Okay, how? You, you clearly put the sub-secrets in a sub to make the headlines so much better. Right. You've got to think, hey, we're doing something risky. I might get caught. Should we put this in a peanut butter sandwich or in like a meatball sub? And you pick the meatball sub. Well, it's more the fact that, you know, that's going to have a USB covered in peanut butter. What if it doesn't work? Like, surely just go for something dry like a ham and cheese sandwich. Imagine they put it in a wee baggie or something, you know? <laughs> it's the world's tiniest bag. There are, there are bags that are smaller that are used for much more nefarious things. <laughs> I mean, that, that is very true. But, uh, no, if I were them, I would just be like, ham and cheese it is, because then there's no liquid matter to infect our USB of nuclear <laughs> submarine design data. But again, yeah, I, uh, absolutely wild that an American couple were doing this. It's, it's, I don't get it. How do you think you're going to do this? Um, but hey, they tried and uh, they're going away now and they're getting punished. Uh, don't try and sell massive, uh, important secrets that are so well kept that you're going to get in trouble. Yeah, just just don't do it. It's not whistleblowing at this point. It's just, like, threatening everybody's existence. Well, precisely. And don't put them in a sandwich either. But, yeah, I, I, again, I, I would love to hear... If you are putting them in a sandwich, choose wisely. <laughs> I would love to hear the, the full story of that, of how the FBI found these two and be like, hey, no, let's, yeah, no. let's make sure we avoid them selling this stuff there are there it's again one there are scripts getting written there's going to be the 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 dark comedy about this whole situation oh definitely getting pitched to netflix next week will ferrell and Kristen wake if it hasn't already been done and netflix might even pick it up because there's their selection is either 10 out of 10 or completely garbo bottom of the barrel stuff they don't have middling absolutely okay well on that note the show which is Either top of the class or bottom of the barrel has come to an end. Thank you very much for listening. Really do appreciate it. Get in touch. Ceaseoperate at gmail.com or at ceaseoperate on Twitter. James, thank you for your time. And I'll see you. Thank you, Colin. And your standing desk next week. Hey. Bye-bye. Also, Matt Hancock got a job offer withdrawn. Wasn't that funny? (laughs) That was funny. (laughs) 